Well, as Perry mentioned, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season of preparation for Christmas, when we get our lives ready for that great celebration, just like Lent is the season right before Easter. Because Christmas isn't an event of 2,000 years ago only. The coming of Christ into this world still happens now. The story of those who traveled far in order to be a part of his coming into the world is really your story and your willingness to do what you can to welcome him into the world today. The question is, what part of that do you have? I've been telling you for months now that God has made each of us unique, knit together in our mother's womb. To have a part in his story, as Pastor Matt said last week, that's irreplaceable, that's a, that, that, that can't be done by anybody else. Only you can do it. The question as to how effective you'll be, though, looms largely on your answer to four basic questions that we'll examine in the next four weeks. How far are you willing to go to be close to God? How close to Him? How intimate with Him are you willing to be? How much are you willing to be trained? And how often are you willing to be interrupted? All of these are a part of the Christmas story. All of them are invitations in your own story. So let's begin with those that came the farthest on this journey, the wise men. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 2 in the Christmas story. The first verse simply says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Now let me just pause here and remind you who the Magi are. Some of you may, may not know this, but Magi were a certain caste of, of priests from the Persian Empire. Persia is modern-day Iran, or modern-day Iran is, is ancient Persia. And, and so that means they traveled 1,000 to 1,200 miles to Jerusalem. I've been to Iran. It's pretty far to Jerusalem, I got to tell you. And on camel, it's even further. <laughs> and so, and so but, I, but I want you to know who these people were. They had a very interesting history. At one point, they almost came to power um, through politics. But then they were so badly crushed in that process, they from then on eschewed politics altogether, which kind of endears me to them. Um, and they decided that the two ways that they could best lead their nation, now this is interesting, one was in, in spiritual ways. They were, they were to be priests in um, the ancient religion of, of Persia, which is Zoroastrianism. So they were a caste of people, much like the Levites were in the Jewish religion, they were in the Zoroastrian religion. But it doesn't stop there. They were also the leading scientists of their day. Interesting combination, right? 
That, that's why when they saw this constellation in the sky, they knew what it meant because they had studied the sky. They were astronomers and back day, that day, astronomy was indivisible from astrology. That is assigning meaning to the stars, meaning that impacts the world. That, therefore, there was this combination. I, I have an old friend, his name is Francis Collins. Uh, some of you know that name because he was the head of the Human Genome Project. Um, he's, he's, he, he is what I consider to be the lead scientist of our nation. He, was, he, he headed the Human Genome Project, and when that was finished, he is now the head of the um, National Institutes of Health, which is the major scientific research organization in this, in this country. Uh, he's a brilliant man, um, but he's also a devout evangelical Christian. Now, you can be smart and do with science what he did. The thing that makes him wise is that he not only sees truth in science, he sees truth in scripture. He not only sees truth in scripture, he sees truth in science. That was the wise men. That's why we call them the wise men. Because they were both devoutly followers of God as they knew him. They didn't know the full story of God. Just as we follow God not knowing the full story, we follow from what we know. But they also knew about the world. And so here they are on this journey. Why? Because they sensed there was something in their life that God wanted them to know that they didn't know yet. They sensed that there was a distance between them and God. You know the paradox of the Christian faith? The paradox of the Christian faith is this, that Christ is with you every day. That's what his name means, Emmanuel, God with us. There is no one who is closer to you than God. The Lord is my shepherd, the psalmist wrote. He is with you every day. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have trusted him for salvation, you have absolute confidence that you have everything you need, both in this life and the next, to be close to Christ. God will not ever change his mind about you. And so you have ultimate security. But at the same time, you don't have ultimate satisfaction yet because God has made you for something more. All of us sense there's something else in our life that God has for us. And we sense that for a good reason. Because if there weren't, you wouldn't be here. There's still a purpose for you that only you can fulfill. And that purpose has everything to do with God coming into the world through your life. That's why you're still here. And that's why you have this sense, you know, I've been blessed in this life, but I feel like there's something more. I feel like there's something more God wants me to see. I feel like there's something more God wants me to do. I feel like there's something more that God wants me to understand of him. I think there's something he wants me to give back. And so while I know he's near, he's not as near as I want him to be. <laughs> there's a, there's, a, there's a, a, a passage in Numbers, Numbers chapter 24, um, Verse 17, beginning of that reads like this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. 
A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. That's what the wise men of the day were thinking. That's what the wise men of today are sensing. That God has a journey for us to be on. And that journey is so important because our faith is not merely our circumstance or it's not merely our intellectual belief. Our faith is a journey. It has been that way from the beginning, you know. I mean, our forefathers, Judaism is our mother religion, okay? The founder of Judaism, Abraham, was called on a journey with the community so that they could be melded together with God, they could follow God and therefore know what faith really is and how true God really is. In that history, in that story, there was a time when they were released from bondage, but it meant that they had to go into the wilderness. Some didn't want to go. <laughs> you know what that is, don't you? I, I get scared when I don't know what's going on. I'd rather have the slavery I have than go on a journey I don't know. And so even then, when they started in the wilderness, there was a back to Egypt committee. There's a back to Egypt committee in all of our lives. Maybe we ought to just remain in bondage instead of going out into something we don't know. But that's not what God says. No, God says, come. There's a promised land out here. And the only way you're going to get to it is to be on this journey with each other and with me and to depend upon me every day when Jesus came. That he just stay in one place in one synagogue and expect everybody to come to him? No. Every day he was going to a different town. Why? Because as it says in Mark, this is why I have come. I must preach the gospel so that they can hear. What did his followers do? Did they just stay in Jerusalem? No. They went all over the world. What are we to do? We're to keep on this journey. Because... Christianity is more than a description. I, I, I remember years ago when I was in Indiana, um, I pastored a, a large United Methodist church there. And, and, uh, and even to this day, they have vanity plates. This is when vanity plates first started coming out. Um, cars had just been invented. And then, but anyhow, they, they, so somebody bought me a vanity plate. They registered and bought me a vanity plate. And the vanity plate for my car simply said, preach. I kind of liked it. Preach. So I went to see a friend of mine who's a PhD who was teaching at a university. Um, and, and he came out and looked at the car and he said, hmm. I said, what do you mean? He said, preach. Now, is that a noun or a verb? I want to ask you, is your faith a noun or a verb? Is it a description or a direction? Is it in the indicative or the imperative? You see, God wants it to be both. God wants us to keep moving because there is a sense in which we are called. God put it into our hearts because we're not as close to him as we want to be. That comes true 
comes to our attention, comes to our realization, especially when we're in tragedy. You remember the psalmist in agony, Psalm 10, verse 1, cried out, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Sometimes we're in pain. We're saying, God, where are you? We know he's right with us. But yet, he doesn't seem as close as we want him to be. And so there's a journey that remains. It's in all of our hearts. It's hardwired into all of our spirits. It is said that if you take a migratory bird and put it in a cage, during the season of migration, that bird will injure itself trying to get out of that cage. But out of the season of migration, the bird is perfectly satisfied in staying in the cage, as long as it has food and water. Let me tell you something about us. The season of migration never goes away. There's never a time when we don't want to be closer to God. There's never a time when we don't want to be closer to each other. We were built for love. We were built to both know and give and love more. And so we're on this journey. And God has a promise for us. It says in Genesis chapter 26, verse 3, this is his command to us. Sojourn in this land. Now you know what sojourn means, right? Sojourns mean journey. Keep on the move. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. As you're going along, don't worry about it. I'll bless you. As you're doing what you need to do, I'll do what I need to do. Watch this. For to you and to your descendants, I will give these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. In other words, I have a plan for you. I want you to know two things. First of all, it's not just for you. If it were for you, maybe I'd let you just sit. As to that last song, I could just sit. I could just stay. I could just hold on, not letting you change me from the inside. But you are called me higher. You have called me deeper. Maybe if it was just about us, God would leave us alone. But it's not about us. Your life is not about you. Your life is about all of the lives that you will impact. And when it comes to descendants, that's not just about blood. That's just not about your children and your grandchildren biologically. That's all of the people who will be impacted by your life. Those are your spiritual descendants. And that's what God has said. It is for you and for your descendants that I will give you, watch this, these lands. You notice how it just got transferred from the singular into the plural? God's going to give you territories you haven't even seen yet. You're walking in this land, but as you walk, you and your descendants spread the sovereignty that God has through you in all of the land so that he can bless you and so that he can fulfill the promise 
that he gave to his father Abraham, to our father Abraham, that all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And so therefore, it's important to note in this journey a couple of things. First of all, you don't go alone. Can I say, tell you something about the Magi? There were more than three. You know, in our, in our, in our, in our Western culture, we, we, just, this, we have this automatic computation. Three gifts, three guys. You know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that means there were three wise men. Let me tell you, if there were only three wise men going on a, a trip from Iran to Jerusalem, they wouldn't have made it through with their gifts. Because the highways were full of brigands, full of thieves, full of... Caravans were huge back then for safety and success. Let me tell you something about your life. If you try to do it alone, the gift that you have will be taken from you. If you try just to do it with a couple of people who you think you can depend upon, most likely the gift you have will be taken from you because these are dangerous journeys. So therefore, we go with a group, we go with our church, we go with our personal church. All of us have to have multiple relationships in order to deliver the gifts we were given for God and for the world. That's just how it is. And let me tell you two things that will happen. Number one, in your journey, you will meet some clueless and mean people. You will. I mean, they came to Jerusalem. The wise men got there late, by the way. You say, it says they came into the house where Jesus was. So he wasn't in the manger anymore. You don't have to throw out, throw out your, your nativity sets. They're still counted among the first responders, you know? Nativity sets are basically the first responders. So they're still counted among the first. But the, but the point is that they came in late and they, and, they, and they had to go through several discouragements. First of all, they went to Jerusalem and they found people who knew exactly where the Christ was to be born. It said it in scripture. And, and they said, well, where's the Christ? And they searched the, they searched the scripture. They said, well, Bethlehem, you will find people on your journey who know all the right religious answers. Don't do anything about it. And I got to tell you, that's pretty discouraging. They know better than they do. That's discouraging. You will find mean people on your journey. This was Herod. You know about Herod, right? He was one of the most vicious, mean rulers of all time. He was so jealous for his power that he had people killed who he thought might usurp his power. He had his wife killed. Then he had her mother killed. And then he had his sons killed. Caesar Augustus said, it's safer to be Herod's pig than his sons. That's how mean this guy, guess what you're gonna run, on, run into in your journey? Mean people. And you think, what in the world? Do you know what mean people have to do with you completing your journey? Nothing. They don't take away your destination. They don't take away your power. You just go on with your journey. That's what the wise men did. That's what you do. But let me tell you something else that comes 
with going with a, group, with a group of people who are making that same journey toward Christ. You get inspired. You get inspired by their stories. Some of you are old enough to remember the name Jimmy Durante. Not many of you, but some of you. Old enough. Remember, remember he, he's a funny looking little guy. My grandfather used to love him because my grandfather looked just like him. These little, little bitty eyes, big old schnoz, you know. Gifted entertainer. I mean, you remember when he used to end, some of you remember when he used to end his uh, television show and he'd walk from spotlight to spotlight, you know. And he'd finally turn around and say, good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are, you know. It was awesome. Well, one day he was out entertaining the troops. He, he used to go with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope to entertain the, the troops in World War II. And this day, they, they happened to be in an army hospital. I mean, these guys were just, I mean, horribly mangled and torn up and, and, and just trying to recover. They were so grateful to have these stars from America come and just do their thing. And, and Jimmy Durante was on, and boy, they were just loving it. Well, there was a prearrangement here. Jimmy Durante needed to catch a plane. And so... And so he said, okay, when, 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 when I got five minutes to end up in order to run to catch my plane, just come out in the crowd and just do this. And I'll nod to you and I'll know I got five minutes to, to end up. Well, five minutes came and they went out and they did this and he nodded. And then five minutes passed and he didn't get off and 10 minutes passed and he didn't get off and he missed his plane. He didn't come off for an hour. And finally, when he did came, come off, they said, Jimmy, what'd you do? He said, I'm so sorry. I, I just couldn't leave. And they said, why not? He said, look at those two guys in the front row. And in the front row were two soldiers. One had lost his right arm and the other had lost his left arm and they were clapping together. He said, I couldn't go. The reason we travel together is when you see people's stories, when you know what people have to overcome, you're inspired and you can't quit. Then there's another thing that we need to remember. And that is many times we get more discouraged with ourselves because long roads are hard. I can guarantee you the wise men got discouraged with their own durability. How many of us get more discouraged with ourselves than we get with anybody else? How many of us forget to give ourselves the grace we give other people? Help us to understand that we're still kind of under construction here. God knows that. He's a God of grace. And so we need to travel along with people who will communicate that grace to us when we can't have it for ourselves. And I hope we get to the place someday where God can speak in our hearts. You know what? We go on from here. You're forgiven. We go on from here. 
I remember traveling a road in Colorado. One time it was up in the mountains and I don't do well with heights. Some of you know that. Uh, it's a reason I'm only five, six. I just refuse to grow any taller. I, I, I just, it just scares me. And so I wasn't very, very good with this road in the first place because they didn't, they didn't have barriers thick enough that high for me. And I came to a part, it was a very narrow road. It came to a part where it said construction ahead. And I'm thinking, oh no, no. Well, sure enough, here's this gravel, you know, that seems to me pretty slippery and, and, and uneven lanes and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm just white knuckled. Finally, I got to, I got to the end of that. And, and, and there was a sign end of construction. Thank you for your patience. I've often thought what a good tombstone sign that would be. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. I'm thinking seriously about putting that on my tombstone. I'm under construction. All of us are under construction. You got to be patient with yourself. That's what it is with a journey. And you got to have people who can communicate God's grace to you as we go along. That's why we go with each other. But then I want to tell you this. This is not a geographical journey. I mean, there's some geography involved. Those of you who came into this building this morning, those of you who, you know, if you're worshiping in a correctional facility, you had to go literally to the room. You had to make a journey. Uh, those, those of you who, who, you know, are home in your jammies, you had to at least get to the, you know, computer. You had to get yourself in the place, all right, where you could see God. There is some geography involved, but this is mostly about a spiritual journey. It says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. It says, indeed, if they had been thinking about that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. If it were a geographical journey, then they could go back. As I said, many people try to go back to where they were, always unsuccessfully. Because it's a spiritual journey, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let me ask you this. What's your reference point for your journey? I mean, where do you get your bearings? How do you know if you're doing any good with it? Jesus gave us our reference point when he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our reference point is heaven. This is about that. Uh, let me tell you a story. There, there was an American uh, um, sailor in, in, uh, that went ashore in Italy. And he was one of these guys that just didn't like to hang out in the big cities. He'd like to get down. Some of you travel like this. You'd like to get down where the real people live. You know, there's not tourists there. You know. And so, uh, and so um, he went down and, and he went into this town where nobody spoke English. And he liked it like that, you know? I'm looking at Randall Loy. This is what Randall Loy would do, you know? He, 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 you, you, I went to China with him. We couldn't locate him half the time. He's eating cat or something. But, <laughs> but this, and, and Chad, you know, Mr. Real Florida down here, we got some of those among us. But the point is this. He was in this town where nobody spoke English. 
And, uh, and uh, there was one other guy who was, who was there who just made a beeline for the sailor. He said, hey, you're from America, right? He said, yeah. He said, I got to catch, I got I to gotta be back at such a time. I can't find anybody's got to, what time is it? Well, the sailor looked at his watch and he says, five o'clock. Well, the guy knew it wasn't five o'clock. He said, look, either your watch is broken or something's terribly wrong with you. And the sailor said, oh, I'm so sorry. He burst into laughter. He said, I'm so sorry. I do this without thinking. My watch is set on Utah time. I'm from Utah. And so every time I look at my watch, I know what my family's doing. And I like to think that every time I look at my watch, exactly what they're doing. That's my reference point. What's your reference point? Because you see, God wants him to be your reference point. Now, here's the key. So where is he? Where is he to be located? How do you get near to God? This is the profound difference between Christianity and the other two monotheistic religions. In Judaism and in Islam, there is a center point. There is a holy city. And you are, if you're a respectable Jew or, or Muslim, you're expected at some, some time in your life, if possible, to make a pilgrimage to those cities. Where is the center point for Christianity? We haven't got one. Not geographically. That's the difference. Where will you find God? Where does your journey lead you? Where do you look for God? Jesus gave us a hint when he told us about the final judgment in Matthew 25. He said in verse 40, the king will answer and say to them, truly, truly, I say to you that to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So where's God? He's in the life of the vulnerable. That's where he is. Mother Teresa used to call the very poor and dying Jesus in disguise. If you want to find God, if you want to get close to God, how do you do that? You find someone who needs you to love them and serve them because the kingdom of God isn't about a place. The journey is a spiritual one. The kingdom of God is about a person who is in other people waiting for us there. Jesus put it like this in Luke chapter 17, verse 21. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Translated from the Greek, it means inside each one of you. You want to get close to God? Love somebody who needs to be loved. Give somebody, to somebody who needs. Serve somebody who needs. And you will come close to God. I was thrilled a couple of weeks ago when I asked if there was anybody who would 
find it in their heart to do something about the homeless among us. You know, we have the horrible distinction or have had as being the leading city in this nation for the homeless, homelessness. And so I said, would any of you work with us in trying to create kind of the faith community's response to that? Now we're gonna have to and want to work with government and corporations and nonprofits and provider agencies just to do the faith piece, the, the piece that only the faith communities can do. So a couple of weeks ago, I said, would any of you step up and want to do that? I was expecting a couple dozen. 400 of you volunteered to do that. Four hundred of you. And so for those of you who can make it, Thursday night we're going to have a, a dinner starts from six to eight right over here in the rink. For those of you who can make it, those of you who can't, we'll, we'll keep emailing. But here's the point. This isn't a, I go out and do a gig next week and then it's done. This is a tremendously complex problem. And the faith community's response isn't just about working with other partners, it's about networking other faith communities so that this can be a regional response. That's gonna take months and probably years. Let me ask you this question. How far are you willing to go? Because this is what I believe and this is what I know. As you serve in this way or in any other way that directly involves people who are vulnerable, you will get close to God. And it won't even just change you for that relationship. It'll change you for all relationships. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this wonderful example of people who would go on a long journey just to be close to you. We want to make that journey too. Even as you guide us, even as you're with us, even as you empower us and enable us, still, Lord, we know that you are waiting for us in the lives of people who need your love and need your service. Lord, lead us to them. And help us to overcome every barrier, every doubt, every regret in order to love like you loved us, in order to go to them as you came to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.